we're going to talk about, or at least begin to talk about today, about the mode of baptism. All right. I want to title the sermon today is Pouring or Sprinkling Really Baptism. Now there are basically three different camps in this arena, in this debate or this discussion. There's one, there's those that believe in immersion. Immersion means what you're probably common to, what everybody in here is probably common to, to immerse somebody in water. Then there's a second camp who believes in either pouring or sprinkling only. You have the immersionists only and then the pouring or the sprinkling only. And I remember not too long ago I watched a biblical movie. I think it was the Gospel According to John. And it was supposed to be the Messiah and he goes out there into the Jordan River and John the Baptist, they're about ankle deep in the river and John the Baptist takes some uh, water on the movie and cuts it in his hand and then pours it over the Messiah's head. And you'd be surprised at how many people believe that to be the proper mode of what we call baptism. And that's the second camp. And then we have a third camp. And the third camp believes that it really doesn't matter. It could go either way. You can be immersed, you can be poured, and you can be sprinkled, and everything's okay. Now, I take position one. I believe that baptism is only immersion. Immersion all by itself. Okay, full immersion, the entire body going up under the water. And I believe that proper baptism is to be done in that fashion. And I want to explain in this sermon, in this teaching, why according to both, one, the word definition of baptism, and number two, biblical example, why I believe that, and why the true assembly, the true Messianic assembly of Yahweh, should believe that today. I don't only think that anything else is unscriptural, I actually believe that anything else is anti-scriptural. As one brother that I know wrote an article about changing the method of baptism, and when you do that, you change the meaning of baptism. And so it's very important. We might ask ourselves, well, what difference does it make whether somebody is immersed in water or whether they have water poured on them or whether they have a little bit of water sprinkled on them? And if we ask that question today, I want you to think about the the thing that happened to Aaron's sons in Leviticus chapter 10 when they offered up strange fire that Yahweh commanded not. They might have been thinking, well, what difference does it make whether we offer it up like this or whether we offer it up like that or whether we add a little bit to it here or there? What difference does it make? We're still offering it up. See, we have to be very careful not to add to it or take away from the commandments, right? Think about the guy that reached out to steady the Ark of the Covenant when it fell off of the cart that it wasn't supposed to be on. He was actually doing it to help. But Yahweh had commanded not to touch that piece, not to touch that Ark. And so Yahweh had to kill him. He killed him, and the guy was reaching out to help. See, Yahweh's outlined in his word how we're supposed to do things, and so we want to do them how he's outlined it. And so if the Bible teaches that baptism is only by immersion, then we need to practice baptism by immersion and not by pouring or sprinkling. And as I said, you'd be surprised how many people and denominations in the world today pour or sprinkle. Let me give you a a list of a few. Lutherans pour and sprinkle. Methodists. Catholics. Presbyterians. All four of those denominations, those are four major denominations in the world today. They all believe in pouring or sprinkling. 
and they all believe in also infant baptism. I'm not going to get into that in this sermon, but they do believe in that as well. The first thing that I want to cover in this sermon is the meaning of the word to baptize before we go to the Scriptures, all right? When we read the word baptize or baptism in the New Testament, it's taken from a particular group of Greek words. Our English Bibles, at least the New Testament, are translations. When you read the New Testament portion of your Bible, it's translated from manuscripts that were written in the Greek language. Those words, to name a few of them, in that company of words in the Greek are like bapto, baptizo, baptismos, baptisma, and baptistes. Now you should realize when I say those words, they should sound a little bit familiar to you. And you should realize that the English translation of baptize or baptism, quote-unquote translation, is not really a translation at all. When we read in our English Bibles, baptize or baptism, it's not really a translation of those Greek words. What it is, is a transliteration of those Greek words. Basically, what our English Bibles have done is taken the Greek word baptismos or baptizo, those letters in Greek, beta, alpha, and so on, and they've brought them down to the corresponding letters in English. For instance, the beta in Greek would correspond to the B in English. The alpha in Greek would correspond to the A in English. That's transliteration. When you come up with the English word, you've got a word that sounds extremely similar or the same as the word in the original tongue or the original language. So the word baptism or baptize in our Bibles is not really a translation, but rather a transliteration. So we need to ask ourselves this. If we're going to properly translate this Greek word or group of words into English, what word would we use? Submerge, Submerge would be a good word. Immerse would be another good word. All right, There wouldn't be anything wrong with every time you see the word baptize or baptism in the Bible, to draw a line through it and write immerse. It's not that you're taking away anything from the Bible, and I'm not saying that to read baptize is wrong. Okay, It's a transliteration from the Greek. But if we wanted to properly translate it into the English like words should be, words are supposed to be translated from one language to another. That's not, you know, I'm not talking about proper names or proper nouns that are transliterated, but common words. They're to be translated. If we're going to do that, Submerge would be a good translation, or immerse would be another good translation. Now, I'm just saying that right now. That's my my understanding and, and my opinion so far in this sermon. But I think I can back that up with scholarly support. Let's look at this just for a second. I want to read from three different Greek lexicons here. The first is the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, put out by Gerhard Kittel from Germany. This is what he states under baptizo in that group of words. He says, quote, A, the meaning of bapto and baptizo, bapto, to dip in or under, to die, to immerse, to sink, to drown, to bathe, wash. The New Testament uses bapto only in a literal sense, to dip, Luke 16:24, to die, Revelation 19:13, and baptizo only in a cultic sense, Mostly to baptize, end of that quote. When Kittles uses the word cultic, he's talking about 
baptism in an ordinance sense or in a ritual sense, the ordinance that our Lord gave there in Matthew 28. Now that's from Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I want to move along to Vines, W.E. Vines' Expository Dictionary of the Bible. And what, what we're doing here is, is this. This is the same thing that you would do if you wondered what an English word meant. If you had a wonder in your mind, well, what exactly does this English word mean? Well, you would go to the dictionary, the English dictionary, and you would look up the word. Well, if you wonder what a Greek word means, they have what's called a Greek lexicon. Basically, it's a Greek dictionary. All right, And these particular dictionaries are biblical ones. They contain the words in the Greek New Testament. And then these scholars that know the Greek language, they define those words for us in English. W.E. Vines states this, quote, Baptisma, baptism, consisting of the process of immersion, submersion, and emergence from bapto to dip. As a verb, baptizo, to baptize, primarily a frequentative form of bapto, to dip was used among the Greeks to signify the dyeing of a garment or the drawing of water by dipping a vessel into another, etc. Plutarchus uses it of the drawing of wine by dipping the cup into the bowl. And then he cites this from Alexis number 67. That's the reference. And Plateo metaphorically uses this word of being overwhelmed with questions. Then he gives the reference for that, and that's the end of quote. What W.E. Vines has done here is he's not only looked at the Greek New Testament contexts of this word, but he's also looked at other ancient Greek literature where these Greek words were used in a non-biblical context. He says that sometimes it's used of drawing water by dipping one vessel into another vessel or of dyeing a garment, dipping the garment down into the dye. Notice it's being immersed. You're dipping something there. We even see, remember the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 where it said he went and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times? That word dip there is a form of the word baptizo. There in the Greek Septuagint. Now, not in the Hebrew Masoretic text, but in the Greek Septuagint, it's a form of the word baptizo. So really what Naaman was doing was he was baptizing himself in the Jordan River by the command of the prophet Elisha. Last but not least, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament defines the word as follows. Quote, Properly to dip repeatedly, to emerge or submerge. To cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, bathe. Metaphorically, to overwhelm, to be overwhelmed with calamities. End of quote. And so here are three major commonly used lexicons for the Greek New Testament. And all of them agree, all of these scholars agree, that this group of words has to do with dipping or immersing one thing into another. And in the case of baptism, of water baptism, we're talking about dipping or immersing a human being, that's one substance, I guess we could say, into another substance, and that second substance is water. Of course, we see this by going through the New Testament, especially like in Acts chapter 10 and also in Acts chapter 8, and also 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. So when we look at the Greek lexicons, it strongly appears that the proper definition for baptism is immersion. These lexicons have taken such ancient writings as the Greek New Testament as well as other ancient Greek writings. They've looked at how the word was used in various contexts and determined the meaning of the word in that way. And I think that's excellent to see how ancient 
Greek-speaking people use the word, and then they determine by that the meaning of the word. And all of your scholarly lexicons will give the meaning, basically, to immerse or to dip. Now, here is some icing on the cake to go along with that. There are other words in the Greek language that mean to sprinkle or to pour. There are perfectly legitimate words in Greek, in the Greek New Testament, that mean sprinkle and pour, and they're not in that group of baptism words. For instance, in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2, it talks about that we've been set apart by the sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua the Messiah. That word sprinkling is also used in Hebrews 12, 24. And the Greek word there for sprinkling is this, rantismos. Notice the difference here. We have immersion. One of those words was baptismos. We have sprinkling. We have an entirely different word, rantismos. So we could say that when a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian quote-unquote baptizes somebody, they're really not doing that, are they? They're not immersing them. They're rantizing that person, not baptizing that person. So that doesn't fulfill the command to be baptized. It doesn't. Hebrews 9 verse 13 talks about the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who are defiled. That word sprinkling is also used. This particular Greek word is used in Hebrews 9, 19 and 21 and Hebrews 10 verse 22. This word in Greek is once again rantizo. Not baptizo, but rantizo, which translates as sprinkling or sprinkled. Also in Hebrews 11, 28, the Bible says, By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And this word in Greek is proskusis. Not baptizo, not bapto, not any word in that family of words. Now, there is also another word or words used in the Greek New Testament, and this is the word, some people pronounce it chio, and I'm not sure whether it's pronounced chio or ko, the ch, I don't know whether it's a ch or a k in Greek, with this particular word. But this word is translated as spills out. You know the parable where the Messiah talks about how that the wine comes out of the old wineskins, it spills out? That, that word is, is chio or ko in Greek, spills out. In John 2.15, it's translated as being poured out. And in Matthew 23.35, it talks about the blood of righteous Abel being shed. That word shed is this Greek word chio or keo. Okay? So there's perfectly... These words in this family have to do with pouring. Not immersing, not dipping, but pouring. And so when somebody asks you, well, why do you believe in baptism by immersion... You can tell them and say, well, when you say baptize or baptism, you're already saying immersion. It doesn't make sense because what they're asking you is, why do you believe in immersion by immersion? doesn't make any sense, does it? Because baptism doesn't mean pour or sprinkle. There's other Greek words that mean that. And if the authors of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wanted us to think that it was okay to sprinkle or pour, for New Testament baptism, then they could have used, the Holy Spirit could have had them use the other Greek words that meant sprinkle or pour. I think that is an extremely strong point against quote-unquote baptizing 
by sprinkling or pouring. All right? There are some who would argue that the Greek word baptizo can include sprinkling and pouring, and I will deal with some objections at a later time. But we see an important point here. If the Greek word baptizo means not only immersion, but also sprinkle and pour, why does the Greek language have other words that clearly mean to sprinkle or to pour? Think about it like this. Let me give you an example. This would be like me telling you to go and immerse a t-shirt. If I had a t-shirt here, i say, TJ, you take this t-shirt and you go immerse it. I want you to immerse this t-shirt in water. All right? Well, what would you do? Well, you take it to some water that was sufficient enough to dip the T-shirt into. You would dip it up under the water. You dip all of it up under the water. I said immerse the T-shirt in water. You would dip the entire T-shirt in the water by the command that I had given. You wouldn't come back with a dry T-shirt with a few drops of water on it. Why wouldn't you? Because I didn't ask you to sprinkle water on the T-shirt, did I? I didn't ask you to pour water on the T-shirt. I asked you to immerse the T-shirt. Now, when we say that in English, we understand it very easy. That's easy. But what I'm telling you is this, is that when you read the word baptize in the Greek New Testament, it means to immerse, not to sprinkle or to pour. So, there's no way that people who knew the Greek language would misinterpret the words of our Master and Savior when He commanded to be baptized in Matthew 28 and also Peter in Acts 2, verse 38. So, if we apply this reasoning to a passage like Acts chapter 8, where the eunuch from Ethiopia asks Philip, Look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? We can read it like this. Look, here is water. What hinders me from being immersed? That's legitimate, and I would say that's probably the best way to read it. If we wanted to be truthful to an English translation, we should probably try to get out of the mindset of even using the words baptize or baptism when we read the Bible, not that it's wrong, but we get out of that habit and start and begin to read immersed. Instead of John the Baptist, we could read John the Immerser. We're speaking it just as potently in English as they first did in Greek. Now, baptism in context in the New Testament occurrences. If you can remember, I asked you to turn to John chapter 3 to begin with. We're going to go there now. Now we're going to look at some scriptures. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. We see this group of Greek words being used in John 3, 22 through 23. It says, After this, Yeshua and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and immersed. He baptized. John also was baptizing in Anion near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. So why does it say, why does the text say that John was baptizing or immersing in Anion near Salim? So it's because there was plenty of water there. All right? Now the only reason that the text would have to say this or the only thing that it could be talking about is John immersing somebody. You don't need plenty of water or much water as most translations say to sprinkle or to pour water on somebody I've got a little bit of water left here in this bottle of water up here and I could probably if I believed in sprinkling and rantizing I could probably do it to every single person in here with this, but this water right here 
you don't need plenty of water to sprinkle. All right? Which is by the Lutherans and the Catholics and the Methodists, it's preferable and done on a regular basis. They don't do full immersion. You know, maybe if somebody asks a Methodist, I think if somebody will ask a Methodist pastor, will you immerse me, they'll do it. But the most common way that it's done is they sprinkle or they pour, okay? Mostly sprinkle, especially when we get into Catholicism. All right. Now try replacing the words baptizing here with the word sprinkling, as in this. John also was sprinkling people in Anion near Selim because there was plenty of water there. That doesn't make any sense at all. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. You don't need plenty or much water to sprinkle or pour. Now, mind you, this is talking about John's baptism, but the point here is that the same Greek words are used here for John's baptism as are used for baptism into the Messiah. All right? So it proves that baptism in the Messiah takes much water. Now look at Mark chapter 1. This is also another passage that although it's speaking of John's baptism, it uses the same group or family of Greek words. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. In those days Yeshua came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, I take delight in you. Yeshua was baptized in the Jordan River. This implies that he went into the Jordan River to be baptized. You don't have to go into a river or be baptized in a river to be sprinkled or poured. But the text, first of all, makes makes it strong. He, he was baptized in the Jordan. Next, the text says in verse 10, as soon as he came up out of the water. Now that kind of flies in the face of these the movies that I or the movie that I saw. I don't want to say movies. At least the one movie that I saw where John reached down and put some water on his head. That's not coming up out of the water, is it? Well, no, of course it's not. This text said as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened. Now, some people that believe in sprinkling or pouring say what that means when he came up out of the water means that he walked out of the river. Now, I don't think that's what it means. I think it means he came up after he was immersed and then he saw the heavens open. I think that's the normal reading of the text. He's coming up out of the water after he's been immersed and then he sees the heavens open. Not when he walks out of the Jordan and sees the heavens open. All right. But even if they're right and it means that when he walks out of the water, notice that he was still in the Jordan in order to be baptized. Something that's not necessary if you're going to be sprinkled or poured. Also look at Acts chapter 8. 38 and 39. Now this is talking about baptism into the Messiah. This is the record where Philip baptized the eunuch from Ethiopia. And we went through this in a former sermon. Acts chapter 8, verse 38. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Of course, the he there is Philip. The him is the eunuch. We know that from verse 36 where the eunuch says, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized or immersed? Notice, though, that in order for Philip to baptize the eunuch, they did what? They both went down into the water. And then he, Philip, baptized him. When they came up out of the water, now that to me 
Kind of sounds like they're walking out of the water. I can see that there. But they still had to go down into the water in order to perform the baptism. And I've performed not many baptisms, but in the baptisms that I've performed, the immersions that I've performed, whether it has been in a swimming pool, a creek, an ocean, or a lake, guess what? Whoever I was baptizing, I would go down into the water with them, and then I would baptize them. That's just how it works, all right? Remember Brother Dan? I, I had the pleasure of baptizing Brother Dan, and I think it was in a river. And we both went down into the water, didn't we, brother? <laughs> and then the he baptized the him. All right. Praise Yahweh. Let's look now to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 and verse 5. It says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into the Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Also, you can couple this passage with Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, that also teaches that we're buried with Him in baptism. Look carefully now at Romans 6, 3 through 4, and also verse 5. Verse 5 says, For if we have been joined with Him in the likeness of His death, likeness of His death comes on the heels of being buried with Him in baptism. Greek lexicons define this word likeness as form, resemblance, figure, or representation. Now, you explain to me how that sprinkling or pouring is a form, a resemblance, a representation, or a figure of a burial. It's not. Whether we're talking about burial as six feet under or as was common burial inside of a tomb, fully immersed in the tomb, the tomb fully surrounding you, all right? It doesn't matter. Burial means you're consumed by something. And if we're buried with him in baptism in the form or the resemblance of his death, if we replace immersion with sprinkling, we completely take away the symbolism and the likeness aspect of our baptism. Not only does it say that we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, which if you picture, go back to Brother Dan, I baptized Brother Dan. He was joined with the Messiah in the likeness of his death. Why? He went up under the water. We call it sometimes the watery grave, all right, of baptism. That pictures it's a likeness of the death of the Messiah. We will also be joined with him in the what? The likeness of the resurrection. See, both the death is a picture and rising up out of the water is a picture of being raised from the dead. Do you know what resurrection actually means? It actually means to stand up again in the Greek. To stand up again. Yeshua was, he was, he was fully enclosed in the tomb. Remember the stone had to be rolled away there probably by an angelic creature. But he was fully enclosed in that tomb and then when he arose, what did he do? He came up. Right? That's what we're picturing. You change the method of baptism to sprinkling and pouring and you completely don't get that anymore. You miss that. And you lose the meaning. You lose the meaning. So it's not just unscriptural to pour or sprinkle. It's anti-scriptural to pour or to sprinkle. One more passage. Luke chapter 12. If you'll remember back with me to Thayer's definition 
before we read in Luke 12, one of Thayer's definitions for the word baptized was that it can be used metaphorically. Now, metaphorically means you take one word that's used literally most of the time and you use it as a metaphor, you use it figuratively. I have a few examples of a metaphor here. One of them is when somebody says, you know, I've really been in a sea of troubles. Well, normally when we say the word sea, S-E-A, we're talking about an ocean. But when somebody says, I've been in a sea of troubles, they mean that their troubles have been a lot. They've been weighty. Been in a sea of troubles. Or what about when somebody says, you know, all the world is a stage. You know, when we think of the word stage, we think of a platform or, you know. But when somebody says, all the world's a stage, the word is used metaphorically. All right? Sometimes the word baptize or that group of Greek words can be used metaphorically to be overwhelmed with something. And I want you to look at how it's used in Luke 12, verses 49 through 50. Luke 12, 49. Our Messiah says, I came to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already set ablaze. Verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how it consumes me until it is finished. Now this is after he had been baptized by John. Okay, He'd already experienced John's water baptism. This is talking about a baptism of his suffering when he was going to be in agony there beginning at the Garden of Gethsemane going into being mocked, being spat upon, the crown of thorns going to the school, hanging upon a torture stake, the wrath of Yahweh being carried out upon the Son. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. It consumes me. I'm overwhelmed with it. What best picture is that? Pouring or sprinkling? No, immersion. Fully immersed in the suffering there. To me, this is one of the greatest proofs that baptism is by immersion. When we think about what the Messiah went through, it wasn't a sprinkling of wrath. It wasn't a pouring of wrath. It was a fully overwhelming immersion of wrath from the Father because He was taking upon Himself, as we've said earlier, the sins of His people. He had that baptism to be baptized with. And so, in conclusion, when we examine the Greek lexicons, coupled with the other words in the New Testament that can mean sprinkle or pour, rantized, chioed, things like that. And then when we look at the context of how the words baptism, that group of words, are used in the Greek New Testament, we see that what comes out is this, is that baptism is to be done by immersion. When Philip baptized the eunuch, he immersed the eunuch. When Peter or whoever baptized Cornelius... He immersed Cornelius. And I think that we should do the same today. Because just like Nadab and Abihu offered up strange fire, we don't want to be guilty of offering up strange water before our Heavenly Father. So let's believe in baptism by immersion. You always will next Sabbath. We'll look at some of the objections that people give to baptism by immersion because they're out there and we want to know how to answer them accordingly. All right? Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Any questions or comments? Brother Arnold? I got an analogy. You know, I used to tell people, you know, Bob comes in and buried with him, you know, in bad likeness, you know, the figure, you know. If you go out there and bury a mule or something, you sprinkle a little dirt on him, he ain't buried, he'd still be stinking. You, you 
got to merge them under the brain, you know. That's a great point. You can't, you can't go out there and sprinkle dirt on an animal and say you buried him. you got to put him under that ground. I thought, if I thought one hair of mine didn't get under, I'd pluck it out. I, I believe in emerging everything because it teaches that. That's good, brother. Brother TJ. I was reading Hebrews 10 a while ago, and in, in, in 22 it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil, with a, with an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Well, you don't sprinkle a, a body. You wash the, you wash the body. I mean, you could sprinkle somebody's head, I guess. But, but in order to wash the body and to make it pure, you'd have to, you'd have to immerse the body. <coughs> That's interesting. I look up that word wash, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it means if you look it up in the... I do know this when I was studying about this, when the lexicons would use the word wash, I didn't read this part, but they they, they talked about how that when you studied the etymology of those Greek words, it went back to like taking a bath. Right. Well, taking a bath is different than taking a shower. You right. see what I'm saying? You get into the bath. The shower you stand up under and it's hitting you, but you drop down into the bath. Brother Dan, are you turning back there? Um, uh, in the